think it's going to happen. I want to believe that Fisher is going to get back to his normal self. But, you know, I was really surprised when Fisher came back from injury last season and did so well. I knew what he was doing was unsustainable. Um, but I think it, it if it if he had come back and not hit that unsustainable clip where he was scoring just nonstop and doing so well, he probably wouldn't have signed for another couple years. Uh, so he, I think he, he and the team got tricked into thinking he was going to be better than he was, and he's sort of performing like I expected him to when he came back from injury, and that bums me out a bit. Yeah, but I also think he's also... I don't know. I thought... I, I, I see what you're saying. I also think that he's just performing less than what anyone or what he should be doing also. Um, I think that just like with Forsberg, we saw it with Smith last night with he bumped out for three points for the first time in 11 games or something like that. I think it's just one of those things where that top six is stuck in a little bit of a rut. And I mean, I don't think that Fisher is a top six player by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's more of a third line player. Um, but that speaks more to the team problems than it does for Mike Fisher. But I, I don't know, because I would like to see Cal Yarncrook maybe centering some more talented individuals. But at the same time, we talked about it just a couple minutes ago that he and Hodgson are starting to get that chemistry there. And I don't know if it's going to be that great of an idea to bump Fisher down there and just see if that works for a little bit. Because, again, we're at this point where you can maximize one line, but you're going to have some sort of deficiency in another line and that's just the way that the predators are made up right now would you rather maximize the first line or the third line i'd rather maximize the first line yeah that's true that's, yeah that's that's a good question because <laughs> there's a, definitely a wrong answer yeah So the show that's been telling you that the Nashville Predators have needed a top-line center for every year since 2011. Link, is that, is that about accurate? That is that is beyond accurate. That is a perfect summation of, I think, our, our show's core theme. Yeah, there you go. This is the Predcast presented by OnTheForeCheck.com, brought to you by Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. That's about right, because this is our fourth year doing this, and I remember us um, over at my old place in Murfreesboro whining about uh, A, Barry Trotz, and B, this team had no top-line center. Yeah, little little has changed since then. Uh, there was a brief immersion of Mike Ribeiro last season, so that was that was brief. Uh, and but I mean, it's more than just the past four years. Yeah, it's, it's been the past. Jason Arnett decided he was not liking playing hockey anymore. <laughs> I think it's when when more of when Jason Arnett's legs decided that they were just done. They were they retired a few years before Jason Arnett retired. That's about right. So he did what? He went to New Jersey again for a spell, and then Washington got traded there, and then uh, Blues. Da- Blues, that's right. That's right. He went back to the Blues. That's where everyone goes in their career. Yeah. Just a couple games there and done. St. Louis Blues legend Jason Arnett. <laughs> hey, they, they like to bring in those former New Jersey Devils to, to retire. Yeah, you got Jason Arnett. You got my, uh, uh, Brodeur. Uh, uh, Brodeur. You've got Scott Gomez. Oh. you got Brodeur's son. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's just shameful. Uh, John, how was your weekend? It's good. It's still not over yet. and got a little bit more relaxing to do. Uh, this week is going to be just such a grind to try and get through until the holiday. Like, the week before Thanksgiving, if you don't take it off from work, is just like the longest two or three days ever. Oh, yeah, and I'm the, uh, I'm, I'm the person who is only, getting, was only taking the two vacation days the work gives us. I'm not taking Monday through Wednesday off. Right. Which means that every, literally everyone else I work with is taking that time off. So it's sort of I get to be the safety net for the entire company. Well, I mean, it's you know, it, there's like 65 of us. Um, Good luck. So yeah, it should be it should be fun. Yeah, I went and did all my shopping and everything like that, and I want to start cooking now. But it's pointless to start cooking like five days uh, this, before. This is our um, pre-Thanksgiving show, so I guess a, a question that I think we should answer is: we we all like to cook. I I, I mean I, I'm. Yeah, he does. Uh, you, yeah, you're talking. I know you're just talking about it. So, I mean, what is what is the the, the your like key Thanksgiving dish that you like to make? Uh, since you're already in it, John, uh, I make a cranberry sauce. Oh, really? Yeah, like at, at, with uh, actual like fresh cranberries, fresh apples. Do it on the stove. Melt everything down into like a jelly, almost with like brown sugar, regular sugar, uh, and then throw it in the fridge for hours. Hmm. 
Dan, what about you? Fried turkey. Fried, of course. I, I would not <laughs> expect anything less of you than than that. That is phenomenal. No, I, I like making a good roux with a good roux and breaking out the syringe, injecting it, and then covering it in mustard, and then uh, dropping it in some peanut oil. I have had uh, a few years ago, my family up in Pennsylvania, we did a fried turkey. That is something else. That is otherworldly good. Yeah, you didn't have to explode the house or anything like well, that. Well, they did it properly. Oh, good. Yeah. I, when I worked at newspapers, man, like so many fires that we had to respond to on those days. You got to thaw your turkey. If you're going to fry it, make sure to and don't thoroughly fill the oil. That's where oh, people yeah. really screw up. Oh, yeah. Um, f- for me, I like to do a um, a, a, uh, a a mashed uh, sweet potato with coconut, with Ooh. coconut milk, uh, and, you know, a little bit of brown sugar and, and some allspice nutmeg, you know, really a lot of blends like that. That's kind of, that's my favorite thing to make. You might throw a little, uh, some, some crushed walnuts in there as well. It's really good. I'm not a big fan of sweet potatoes, but that sounds good. It's, 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 it's phenomenal. You have to temper the sweets because you've got the sweet potato and you've got the coconut milk. So you have mm-hmm. to make sure you, you season it properly or else it just gets really too sweet. Any more these days, I just kind of cheat and go to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> I'll, I'll fully own that. Hey, you know, there, there's, I've actually had, I had a Thanksgiving several years ago uh that was we went it was at city cafe in chattanooga and that was so relaxing because there was just nothing involved but just you sit there you just eat some food it's good yeah i mean i'll probably we'll probably get some other couple to go with us and yeah that'll be it yeah the saddest thanksgiving i ever had was a couple years ago at said paper no i'm telling you because i worked uh for most of the day and i you know had to do uh shoot pictures of uh like them giving out food to different places and different people uh food drives things like that you know fried turkey fires and everything like that so i came home and made myself a turkey sandwich but not like a turkey turkey sandwich a turkey lunch meat sandwich yeah. oh, i was like it was it like with, with the moist maker and everything no it was you know the bag of turkey slices from not even from the deli but just from the prepared lunch meat section oscar oscar meyer yeah you know, farm nothing yeah. on the sandwich just that and bread no not, no mustard mayonnaise nothing. i didn't have anything the, wow. the saddest thanksgiving i had is along those lines uh this is when i was working retail about like four or five years ago and um i was living in when I, was, when I was living in murfreesboro that same house just our, my mm-hmm. first thanksgiving there uh, the guys I, I lived with all went home, and uh, so it's just there, just there by myself, not going to cook for anything. Uh, I was really happy to know McDonald's was open. Oh man! Like, not only do I feel bad, I feel bad for even asking for this. Did they do anything special, or was it just no, McDonald's food? It was just McDonald's. <laughs> That's the saddest <laughs> Thanksgiving I've ever had. I, I always felt bad for even going to that, but. Um, that way it was what it was. Well, now you have a measuring stick for your life. Is like, <laughs> am I Thanksgiving Day at McDonald's? Uh, level right now, or am I above? Well, that? I was so depressed at the time because the people I worked with they did they celebrated not celebrating holidays, like that's their that was their premise, you know, like we don't celebrate any holidays, and they made a point of my next birthday to make me the most miserable now, human I, on earth. I, I'm gonna I have to throw inside. I know a little bit about your employers. Yeah. I'm not gonna I won't bring it in public, yeah, no. but I I mean knowing their background, um, Thanksgiving's not on that list, so I don't get that one. I don't get it either. That's not on the list. No. No, but uh, I, I got ba- I got them back uh, a couple years ago when they called me. It was on my birthday, and I'm getting ready to head out to Logan's. I, I go to this the one time I go to Logan's a year. It's for my birthday because otherwise I have no excuse to go to Logan's. But uh, yeah, it's a thing. I mean, you, no, for, I'd, I'd like to go to Logan's. I like Logan's. So but just go to it. I don't have. I need an excuse to go to it sure. just because it's you know it's ridiculously big steak, sweet potato, beer, what have you. Hmm. But the next day we're going to Florida and uh, I'm gonna go see my family. And I'm not postponing this. So when I get a crying voicemail from my old employer saying, Dad, could you please come in? The other person that we really hated walked out and we have no one to ship all these boxes. I didn't even respond to the voicemail. I feel really bad about that, but... You, know. you don't really, though. No, I really don't. Can see I really don't. We can see the look in your face. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of telling there. Well, let's dive into it. We've postponed it long enough. This is a really bad week of hockey. Uh, we have to talk about it? I guess so. This is a really bad week of hockey. Uh, Tuesday night, play Anaheim. Anaheim's a desperate team at the time. Uh, Predators started really strong, got a fluke goal, go up three to one, and just survive an onslaught from the Ducks. Uh, this was like payback from that Blues game a couple weeks ago, where they Predators just shot the lights out of the building, and they lost what four nothing in that game. Four to nothing. Yeah, more on that later. Um, but <laughs> there's a pattern here. Um, what do you want to take away out of the Anaheim game other than the fact that they survived? Or just, uh, some of this, I believe, is Anaheim just being a really good and just desperate team. 
But I think also Nashville went into a little bit of a shell. They definitely did because if you looked, they only had, what, five shots maybe from the second period on. I mean, they didn't do a, a single thing, and there's a, a certain element to getting a big lead and then holding off on it, and there's another thing entirely to just go into a shell, turtle, and let your opponent just beat the crap out of you, and that's what happened. The fact that they only got they meaning Anaheim only got one goal in that entire game after that was incredible the the thing that i it, it's a takeaway and it, but it's not a takeaway that i really know if it's right or not is i have the concern that the Anaheim game is the predators team that makes me worry about the predators you know i look at that and i look at the effort they put in and, and how they were able to overcome a really aggressive team. And, uh, you know, all last year, I think we saw the Predators struggle with really aggressive teams because they, I, a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, those aggressive teams tend to have more talented top six players overall, and they can kind of overwhelm parts of Nashville's uh, roster. And I think we saw that a little bit. Uh, I mean, the score is in the Predators' favor, but I was more concerned about the overall flow of play and, and what it says. And I, I think that the reason I feel this way is because of what happened in the next two games and how the team responded um, on the ice in those next two games. And let's dive into it. They go to Columbus on Friday night. Uh, they start Rene, which Rene got plenty of rest. Uh, they knew how to back-to-back coming up. We figured that Hutton was going to play one of those games because Hutton's coming off the injury himself. Um, go down quickly, 2 nothing, and Predators now proceed to shoot the lights out of the building. Only Columbus gets a couple more goals. Go on to win it 4 to nothing. Those. So this was a receipt from the Anaheim game. I mean, I you know watching that, I actually went back. I did it. T- yeah, today I sat down. And I just watched those first two goals over and over and over again, and it was just bad play. They were it were obvious, stupid errors. People had to make a simple play. They go for something more complicated, or they're not watching their coverage areas, and it just set Columbus up for really easy goals. And you know, after those those two, I mean. It, Things got fixed. Nashville kicked into overdrive. But at that point, luck just did, wasn't on their side that night. They couldn't get anything past Bobrovsky, who doesn't even have a, a save percentage over 90%. No. But he's also one of the things that uh, we mentioned earlier is that he's also still a really good goaltender. I mean, it's not like he's Andre Pavlik or something out there who's going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been playing without confidence. Yeah, he had a really awful start to the season. Um but it's not like this is some scrub that they're going out there. I mean, the things that I mean, that's not uncharacteristic of Bobrovsky shutting the door when they're shooting almost forty shots at him. Yeah, and that was just a frustrating game because that was that was a lot of what I wanted to see. They made the mental mistakes and they really got hurt and those mental mistakes buried them. And then they pulled together and they said, We can recover from this. We've done it before, we can do it again. Let's work hard. And it didn't work. It worked in the Ottawa game, but it didn't, it yeah, didn't it work just, on it Friday. It just didn't work that night. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, call it call it bad luck. Call it, you know, they weren't getting a good shot. You know, zones call it even. Bobrovsky finally kind of waking up and coming into his own again and being the goaltender we've seen in that, Columbus. That save against Neil was just the dagger, yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all, you, you, there's a lot of things, you, you reasons you can pull up to say maybe why the game didn't end up going in the Predators' favor. But what the, that's why the only thing that bothers me is Saturday night's game. Yeah, That's sa- the one that bothers me. Saturday night, uh, but even before the game, I was already a bit upset. Um, Predators sent Colton Sissons back to Milwaukee. Nystrom and Gostad come back in, so Salamaki had to take a seat. Um, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's talk about this first. Just actively making the roster worse. Salamaki has done everything that's been asked of him so far. I mean, he's Mika Salamaki. He's not going to be a twenty. He's not going to be a twenty twenty guy. He's going to be a, you know, fifteen you know, 20 guy who's just there to inject chaos into whatever line he's on. Colton Sissons has been nothing but great in the role that he was put in. And there's no one, There's you cannot convince me otherwise. I understand you don't lose your job due to injuries in professional sports. I and mean, that's how it, that's kind of how the code works. But at the same time, the New England Patriots didn't bring back Drew Bledsoe when Tom Brady started playing. I'm not saying that either of these guys were Tom Brady, but it does happen. You sometimes you have to look in the mirror and say, these guys are the better players for what I'm trying to do. Why are we going back to the old and busted? I mean, part part of it, I think, is just a hockey decision that coaches make. You know, you favor your veterans. You give them the opportunities. They've paid their dues. And the other side, it was just roster management. They had to send Sissons down. They had to. I mean, IR only lasts so long. 
you have to take them off eventually. And then the roster size dictates, and because they're carrying two spare defensemen, you have to send somebody down. And, you know, Sissons was the, was the victim of that. Uh, and and we, I think we kind of knew he was going to be the first person just based on recall orders. Uh, but the scratching of Salamaki, I think, is, is more of the, the, the question. The thing that I question is, is Salamaki being scratched. Especially with him scoring a goal earlier in the week on that nifty deflection. Um, and, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. He's been doing everything that he's been out there to do. Uh, yeah, he hasn't been lighting the world on fire, but that's not really what he's supposed to be doing right now. And I don't think that anyone expects him to be doing that, especially because, one, that's not his game, and, two, he's still very young and he's still very new to the league. Um, but I think taking him out and then shuffling the lines as far as basically just you know picking random numbers out of a hat and throwing them out there for the sake of I don't even know uh, just didn't seem like... Lavi's best moment of the season and I think that affected the entire game because I, I went back through and I watched this one as they looked rough especially as the game went on as the game went on they progressively got worse uh, even though they outshot Minnesota which Minnesota is a pretty good team as far as possession goes if you're losing four nothing if you're losing two nothing for the majority of the game you should be shooting the lights well, out. Even during most of the game, they weren't out shooting them. It was just later in the uh, in the game when that started to happen because Nashville started with the advantage in shots in the first period, and then after that, Minnesota took over. Yeah, and, and the thing that, that I find interesting is the degree of, of scoring chances on, on those shots. So I'm going to just hold up a chart for you guys. This is the one of the expected goal charts. Expected goals. Expected charts. goals. So this is predicting of, of the shots that are actually expected to be converted to goals by the team. Despite the vast difference in shots, the Wild led in expected goals like that the, they would actually look to score through the, through the course of the game. They just they had opportunities. They had high high threat scoring chances, and the Predators were just sort of I, I think they were throwing the puck at the net okay at first, but what got me is. After the second goal, the Predators on the ice, the body language, the way they reacted, reminded me of the Anaheim Ducks at their worst this season. They gave up on the game. They looked like they weren't like they, sh- they were just throwing the puck at the net. They were picking fights they did not need to pick. And you know when you've got three Predators, I I, I don't think Yarnko got full fighting. I think he got double roughing. But when you have essentially three Predators in the box at the same time for fighting. That's that's a lot of important people that you have in the well Nystrom. Um, but that's, there's some important people in that box, and it's just a whole line, a whole forward line in a box. Hold on, so it was Yarncroke, Neil, and Nystrom all in the box at the same time. Yeah, there. Hopefully, they weren't on a line together. Well, but I mean, it's a line's worth of players. Okay, <laughs> it's yeah. like to say that's a terrible. Yeah, idea. no, it's it's a line's worth of players. Uh, I mean, Neil fighting is I mean, when you need a goal, and James Neal is picking a fight and getting thrown in the box for five minutes. That's not that's that's terrible. That says a lot about the mindset of the team, and that's not a mindset that you you want to see from a team that needs to find a way to be resilient and a way to regain confidence. And they just they look they checked out of the second goal, and I think a lot of fans probably checked out after that second goal as well. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, it's from I from watching, it. and we we watched the Columbus game uh, on Friday, and it looked like. They, even though that they were down by three goals, it looked like you know one goal and they could start coming back and start pouring it on. Not even that. We we you and I looked at each other and we're like, we fully believe they're going to come back and at least oh. get a point out of this. Yeah, game. I agree. And then uh, the Minnesota game, not not at all. It was the exact opposite. It's like as soon as they got that second goal, it was like, well, this game's over. And I I hate calling those games. I hate saying that when it's still so early in, just because I've watched so much hockey and know that anything can happen. But at the same time, because you've watched so much hockey, you know when there are those just games that their team is not going to come back from. It's when the Predators started scrapping that I said, you know what, they've given up in this game. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm kind of invested, but this, if this is how they're going to treat the game, you know that they're not taking winning seriously, they're taking the spirit of hockey, whatever you're going to call it, seriously. Oh, and that doesn't, I hate that. but hey, that's what Eric Nostrum's for. Uh, yeah, because Eric Nystrom, somebody, I, because I, I was making all sorts of jokes about the uh, the Sissons and Nystrom thing on Twitter, and uh, you know, full, I I expected to, to to what to happen. I expected the thing that I expected to happen. There we go. There's the English. The thing that I expected to happen 
was that Nyseman's going to come in after I've made all these jokes at his expense and just have a great game have and score and, and randomly score two goals on one shot. You know, that sort of magical thing. And somebody even point, said on Twitter, like, that's going to happen. He's going to score two goals. I'm like, you're probably right. And then he goes out there, is the first guy to start picking fights and doing stupid things. And I'm like, that's the Eric Nystrom we all expected. Yeah, he did have a couple of uh, shot attempts and shots early on in the first period. But after that, it had that yeah, well, random fight for no good reason. Good for him, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Here's a question for you, too. With the line shuffling being the way it was and with the just getting shelled eight to nothing, even though the Columbus game you should have won, you think this team's demoralized? Because if you're shuffling lines around to a point where you're trying to generate any kind of offense, even though you know you're generating a lot of shots, that right there speaks to just the guys aren't getting it done. They, they definitely, after that second wild goal, they were definitely demoralized. And that's uh, teams, you see two reasons why teams fight. They have the cl- there are teams who carry the classic scrappers who fight for justice as they see it. And then there are the teams that fight when they feel... They feel desperate. They feel behind. They feel beat up. And so what they do, they actually beat someone up or try to or remove teeth or what have you. Um, And that's really a lot of – that's really what we saw was that frustration boiling over. And that's been going back actually since the Winnipeg game because after the Winnipeg game, obviously we I mean, we talked about this at length, the whole parade of the penalty box for both teams. Um, that looked like an anomaly, but that looked like it carried over to the Anaheim game where there was just like penalty after penalty after penalty after penalty in that game. And then after the uh, nothing in Columbus, but then in Minnesota, same thing, just penalties after penalties for stupid stuff. Having said, I was actually in like the seventh row for the Anaheim game. There's a reason for a lot of those penalties. Yeah, it's the Ducks. <laughs> you had Perry and uh, Rene nearly uh, getting into it. You had Rene cross-checking Perry behind the play, and then uh, it's because Perry got away with some stuff earlier. Just Corey Perry. That's yeah. all I got to say. Cor- Surprise. Yeah, Corey Perry doing Corey Perry stuff. And again, this is the Anaheim Ducks that will, at all at all uh, cost, are trying, to get a penalty, are trying to get a power play. That's the Ducks game. It's been the Ducks recipe since the lockout. No one should be surprised by this. So I'll give him a pass for the Anaheim game. Um, the Winnipeg game, I think the referee just kind of lost control of that game, and that just spilled over. Yeah, and at the same time, at the same time, um, it's just one thing like them by themselves maybe is not, uh, you know, correlation does not equal causation or causation correlation, whatever. Um, but that that when, yeah, when you when you see it three times, then you start to wonder about what's well, going on. They say it takes it takes three data points to to make a trend. Uh, and we're we are flirting with the dark crevice that is the phrase like locker room issues and things like that. And we and and that's something that's I want to stay away from because I mean the Predators have always had a pretty stable locker room. Yeah. Uh, I mean the culture of the team uh, is very much ingrained. And so I I, I don't I, I just wonder if it's all the oscillation that we see. So you know seven goals and then they struggle and then they they spike and they keep going up and down and so when they go out there each night they don't know what's going to happen there's there's an air of maybe even when things are going right it's a little out of our control it's almost like they're they're having a they have like a door-to-door sales job where you have good days you have bad days and you don't have a whole lot in between days mood swings yeah and and (laughs) and that's what we're seeing it's not always and you have to look a little bit deeper because it's not always reflecting the scores. Looking at the goal totals is a really easy way to look for that trend. But when you go in and you look at things like expected goals, you look at scoring chances being generated, you see the same thing where they, they'll eke out a game where they can't create a single, single scoring chance and they'll lose a game where they should have scored four goals, no problem. And it's just all over the place. The example, I looked at just the month of November for the games because I was going. I looked at our, our good dear friend PDO. Just out of curiosity. Mm. Because the team in November, in all situations, averages a 100 PDO for the month. But you look at it, and it's either... The, the PDO is, ten, is either like in the low ni- 90s or like low 90s or beneath, or it's well above 100, like 110 and up. So it's averaging out to that 100 so because it's of all the swings? Because they're all over the place. And I think that takes a toll. Uh, expected goals. Can you go into this a little bit? Because I'm just now starting to see expected goals as a stat. What what can you tell us about this? You know, this? I, I'm still. I, I it's something that I'm familiar with on on the soccer side because soccer has been using expected goals for a very long time, 
uh, and I'm still working through the methodology. It's a lot more complex than Corsi. It's a lot more complex than scoring. Chan- you know, a lot of things people are using. Is it based off like uh, Hextally or something? Or I mean, it's based off of uh, the quality of chances. It's based off of types of shots, the uh, the area from the ice the shot was taken from. So it incorporates a lot of the, it incorporates shot quality, incorporates uh, Corsi type stats, shots for block shots, things like that. So it takes a whole lot of little pieces that we use now and tries to use them to predict goals. Uh, and it, maybe, maybe I, if I can really dig in, I, I can write up, do a write up for uh, on the four. It does on, have to do. It does goals. have to do with shot placement. Okay, I'm looking yeah. this up real quick. It does have to do with just where the quality of shots are coming from. Because the reason why I, I, I wanted to get a little bit deeper into this because I saw a lot of these little scatter plots are out today. The Predators, I believe, are towards the top of the entire league in expected well, goals. Here's here's the really interesting thing. You'll, I'll, I'll retweet those charts a lot. Uh, so they're usually at the top because. They are actually scoring right now, uh, over the course of the season, above their expected goals. So that's why they're at the top of that list right now. They're still really in the upper echelon of the league in expected goals, but they are outperforming that level it's traditionally. So I, I, you know, you you expect them to kind of come down from there over time. Uh, they may be trying to overcorrect a little bit here by not scoring any goals, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> You know, we'll, we'll just have to see. And, and I'm still, you know, expected goals in hockey is still pretty fresh. I don't, there's some evidence that it is more predictive than a lot of things people are using now, but it is new enough where it's not fully vetted. Right. And this is the first time that I've been seeing it more often. Yeah. Um, and don't tell me about Hart, I think, is one of the people who started, started that, doing yeah, this. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. And I saw at the uh, beginning of the season where they put the uh, charts out as far as like where each team is supposed to end up as far as what their numbers for expected goals were. I can't remember. I feel like Nashville was like right in the middle. Even uh, I, you might be able to tell me that now, I'm wrong. I, I started following him a little bit later in the season, so I, I didn't mm-hmm. go back. I mean, I read through. Uh, I was only able to, to to skim through it. Unfortunately, I really want to go back and read in right. depth. His explanation is logic because mm-hmm. I'm like I said, I'm familiar with it in soccer, and a lot of things that he's applying are things that they've used for European soccer leagues for right. a very long time to great effect. And uh, also to caveat that, as far as what they used uh, for the preseason. Um, was a lot of the things that they had to do last year because, sure, like, Boston sure. was high up there. You know, we didn't expect the Bruins to be very good. Um, I think, like, New Jersey was higher than they should have looked and things like that. And th- there are a lot of little little caveats with it as well. But yeah. it, it's definitely something that exercises your brain to look at that and comprehend it. it yeah, it is much more complex. <laughs> Got to pull. Here's the formula. It is the further a shot lowers the likelihood that results in the goal. The type of shot being snap, snapshot, uh, backhand, wraparound. Was there a rebound? Yes or no. A rebound is defined as a shot taking place less than four. Actually, just cuts off after that. Uh, score situation. So, looking at that, I I saw some of the charts today. Interesting, kind of where Nashville is on it. Not terribly surprised, just given how well they've been shooting the puck, especially in the month of November, especially given the amount of chances that they're doing. Um. I just want to see where that goes. I mean, it's a it's a fun new metric to pay attention to, but yeah, I, all, all the metrics just hurt right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something to sort through, and and I think as as we and as other people, um, other you know, hobby pundits or whatever you want to call us, uh, get more more into it, I, I think it'll be cool to see how particular it, it ultimately is getting at the end of the season, just because of how random you get, how much randoms you get in hockey to see if it can hold up better. Mm-hmm. One bit of team news before we go to break, and we'll discuss this more even after the break. Uh, the team today claimed uh, Petter Granberg from Toronto off of waivers, big Swedish kid, six foot three, 200 pounds. He's right-handed stay at home defenseman. And he's currently out with an Achilles injury, but he'll be back in December. So, your initial thoughts when I tell you that the Nashville Predators have claimed a 23-year-old, large, right-handed Swedish defenseman. My first thought was why. Exactly. Uh, my, I guess my first question is, is less why and more who's the casualty. Exactly. Coming up after the break, we'll break this down a little bit further. Uh, you listen to the Predcast presented by Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need to partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. 
Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back in. We, we'd be um, doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't talk about um, the Milwaukee Admirals right now. They won nine straight games. Uh, Fiala had a goal last night. I know. Uh, Trevor Murphy has been really good this year so mm-hmm. far. And uh, he was the guy that he's also a left-handed defenseman. Uh, good future ahead of him so far. Uh, Arvidsson's been awesome. Uh, Kamenev has kind of cooled off a little bit, but had off to a really good start. I think he's kind of taking some of his... Uh, kind of needing to reprocess some things, but um, Fiala's slowly getting back in that groove. Nine straight's a big deal, especially even without uh, Colton Sissons in the lineup or, yeah. or Salamaki. And they started off really rocky, too, if I remember correctly. Uh, so that's that's evening out a little bit. Uh, Max Reinhardt's doing really well as well. Um, yeah, good things about Milwaukee right yeah, now. Uh, it, what makes you feel good about that is is when you have... They're, they're seeing a little bit of turnover, and they've got some. They've got Saros coming in who's new to North America, and they've got some other new guys coming in to have to, that have to adjust their game. Uh, and it took some time, and that's to be. A, that's why you put players in the AHL to, to take that time. And and now they're turning around, especially without three players who had been key contributors. And uh, I believe, for several years. And I believe we talked about it good. Uh, last week too, with as far as like the disciplinary things that have been going on uh, as well. So maybe, hopefully, that's in the past, and they can uh, use that as far sort of a, a team building. Um, learning experience and, and go from there. I mean, from what, I, from what I've heard, Saros has been doing excellent down there. It's good to hear. Long overdue. We put it out on Twitter today that we were going to be recording, especially after we got the news about uh, the uh, acquisition of Petter Granberg. And, you know, figured great time for us to record after two straight 4 to nothing shutouts. Woo. So we put it out there, uh, just looking for any questions, see what you guys had. Um, got a lot of uh, trade speculation ones, which we're going to dive into those a little bit, or a little bit later on. Uh, let's see. Al Gross writes in, were we ever in on a Ryan O'Reilly talks over the summer? And uh, to my knowledge, I don't believe they were. I mean, I don't have anybody on the inside, but I don't see uh, I didn't see Colorado trading that guy in the division. Yeah, not in division. It depends what you mean by in talks. Did Poyle maybe make a phone call? Probably. Should have. Did, did, did you know, Sackick take that call? Probably not. If they did, I said, no, I just don't want to, this guy's too good. I don't want to send him in the division. That or, you know, hey, you give me, you know, X amount of, you know, super high thing that he knows Poyle's not going to accept, and that's the end of the phone call. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I assume that Poyle made a phone call is what he does, because if you're not making those phone calls, you're not a very good GM. Uh, but as far as anything publicly, I never heard anything to suggest that that was something that was on the radar or could have materialized. And this is the same team last year that we, or a couple years ago, that, that made a very public push for Eric Stahl and James Neal at the, and uh, Spezza. And Spezza. So we do hear leaks every now and then about this team. Just didn't hear it on that particular one. Virgil writes in, um, when will our GM make a big trade to improve the team? Five out of top eight scores are Demon. Official and Rare are old. Colin Wilson, one goal for $4 million. This guy hates him some Colin Wilson, so that's fine. Here, here's the thing: the players, it, the disconnect with people in trades is that to get that kind of trade, you have to give up pieces you don't want to give up. You can't clear out all the players that are problematic in a trade and get back exactly what you need or what you want, because those players are problematic for a reason. They're not good. They're struggling. They're over. They're, they, their contract is bad. There's really good reasons, and, and so. That's why these these blockbuster trades you see tend to either be, what was that GM thinking? That's insane, and those are fairly uncommon. Or they're they're sort of like for like. You know, we need a high level score. We have way too many high level scores, but we really need an elite defenseman. So you you build around two big pieces. 
you know, I don't, I don't think the Predators want to give up any of their big pieces. I think they they might eventually. I just don't think that it's going to be anytime soon. I don't think it's going to be a rush decision. I feel like any type of blockbuster trade, and this is a question that I got asked a ton last night during the game because I did another one of those Q&As uh, on Twitter during the uh, intermissions, and people were routinely asking about uh, you know first-line center, just a center in general, and I don't think that's going to be something that we're going to see mid-season. It's going to be at the draft. It's going to be in the summer. But yeah, I mean, to your point exactly, as far as I can't tell you how many times last year I heard, you know, trade, you know, Rich Kloon, uh, Eric Nystrom, and Gabriel Bork for Nazim you know, someone. Yeah, that or like, you know, that and then like a fourth rounder and that, that should be good. It's always it's like, like no. a second or a fourth rounder. Yeah, it's never a first rounder. And, uh, and then I remember when Hornquist went out for for Neil. People were pissed because they're like, "Well, I really liked Hornquist. Why did they have to trade him? Why did they have to bring in Neil?" It's like, but Spalling's such a key guy. It's because people who have value are going to be the only ones that are going to bring value back. If you're looking for something that's going to improve the team, you're going to have to part with something. That's why trading so much harder than people make it out to be. I mean, that, that's the key to NHL success is having lots of money and drafting well. Uh, just, and also to address the whole bit about Colin Wilson, Colin Wilson has seven points this year. You know who has four? Mike Fisher. Mike Fisher. No one wants to say anything bad about Mike Fisher in this market, and because he's a, a, a legitimately a good guy. I'm having so I, much deja vu right everybody now. Everybody likes Mike Fisher, but still, four points. And look who he's been playing with compared to who Colin Wilson's been playing with. Advantage Wilson. And Colin Wilson's also had way better chances. Yeah, I mean... He, he should have at least four or five goals right now, I think. Connell Wilson, first-line center. Connell Wilson, first-line center. Do it. Yeah. I'm just get it done. This is Just try it. Why not? Just try it. Uh, Keith Helm writes in, why are Gostad and Nystrom back in the lineup over Salamaki and Sissons? Because they're old. And we touched on that because the yeah. roster can only handle so much. And that kind of goes back to what we were thinking about at the very beginning of the season as far as why keep up that extra defenseman. Anthony Batetto's not doing anything. He's not going to crack into the lineup unless something really bad happens again I don't know I feel like if 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 Boteto wasn't there then maybe they could have held on to systems for a little bit and maybe give him a healthy scratch or two while Nystrom got back in the game until they realized oh wait systems is so much better and this fourth line is being way more effective than it is with Nystrom and Gossett on it and I honestly I don't think that Gossett's really going to go anywhere even if uh he was uh if Sissons was back just because it's his last year, he's serving a role that the coaching staff thinks that he needs. He's cemented on that lineup until the season's over. That's kind of a bummer. Not moving cemented. These are all things that describe Paul Gostad. Funny that. Cemented implies that it's like for, it's in place and it won't be broken. I, it also describes his skating style. Yeah, it just doesn't describe his shoulder very well. Eric Schiff writes in, how about non-research trade speculation? Yeah, so... Uh, you know, John and I were actually talking about this prior to the show. I had a feeling you um, would because <laughs> I was really excited about this one, and and I came up with my perfect answer talking to John today. Mm-hmm. I also the other thing I, the other thing I achieved today is I watched the season finale of uh, the first season of The Flash, and so it said it gave me an idea. There's some time travel involved, so the Predators need to go back and replace. They need to swap out roughly I don't know 2005, 2006, maybe even a little earlier era Matt Sundin for like Paul Gostad. You know, they look, if you shade Paul Gossett's head and everything, they might look enough where you could get away with it and no one would notice. So, so I think what we need to do is, is to, is to um, deliver time travel technology to David Poyle so we can get Matt Sundin. I said that the getting a center from the Toronto Maple Leafs was already tried before, and that was Matthew Lombardi, and we see how well that worked out. Actually, he came from Phoenix. Did he really? Yeah. They shipped him off to the Leafs for concussion reasons. Ah, oh, that's right. And we, the, who's the other players involved in that in that trade? Anybody? Brett Lebda. Woo! Uh, I remember a Leafs blogger being like, now Brett Lebda is your Brett Lebda. I'm like, wow. Right, and they bought him out after, what, a couple of weeks? After about a week or two, yeah. Um, if that was me going back in time, I would just tell him to draft Brad Richards, number two overall. No, that, Yeah, that'd be smart. I think it'd be probably the easiest and safest course of action. I don't know. I, I, I took another glance at Matt Sandin's historic numbers today, and that guy was something else. Yeah. Absolutely. Truly incredible hockey player. And he's a center. Yeah. I mean, worse things, worse things have worked. Ben Vance writes in, where will Isaiah Fisher go in the 2034 NHL draft and or American Idol season? I think that may be the most. Uh, there's a lot of variable there. I mean, I, I think he may he may have stayed a better chance for America's Got Talent, but uh, or maybe the 700 Club. That could go either way. I, I think he gets he gets uh, 
he gets drafted by um, the Nashville Braves in the uh, 10th round of the MLB draft. Wow. That's what I'm picking. That is a hot take. Man, that... that take off my headphones here. It's so hot, I can't even function. So I only do the one-ear thing. It helps regulate temperatures. The Nashville Braves. No, man. It would have to... I mean... I don't want the Braves to do their stupid tomahawk chop in this city. No, I, if... I, they really missed the boat as far as... Uh, I, as far as sports iconography in this area. Um, I'm a fan of, like, anything train-related. Yeah. I... 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 I, mean, I, I, I Went to UTC. Yeah, I mean Chattanooga, nice, you know, big known for being a very big rail hub. Why not? So, anywho, uh, Twitter a B plus, not 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 the A a couple weeks ago, but but a solid B. It's, it's good questions. Well, they asked the kind of questions that I'm good at answering, mm-hmm. so I appreciate that. They didn't ask you anything about like the new Fallout game or anything like that. So haven't played it yet. My roommate's been doing it nonstop. So if I was good, if you were going to create a. Um, like a scrum statement, a um on the on tw- on uh, the central division right now. Dallas is good and they're fun. The Blues are pretty good and they're stable. The Wild, the Predators, and the Hawks are only showing flashes of uh, flashes of uh, the postseason form that they had last year. Is that about right? Yeah, I think so. Winnipeg's kind of just below that flashes of postseason where it's like they looked good for a little bit. Actually, Winnipeg they is really showing bad. exactly what they did in the postseason last year. That's but, true. You know. <laughs> No, I think that that's fair. I mean, I I just went through uh, late last week doing you know ranking teams, so I I kind of goes in line with what I had thought, and I still feel kind of feel the same way. The Predators they make they, they make me nervous. But, yeah. They're at least not peaking too early. <laughs> no, they're certainly yeah. not. I just hope they don't have their their typical um, collapse in March. Yeah. Yes, but when the thing is with that though is looking at the Central Division right now, even having a minor struggle right now could be very harmful which makes me a little bit nervous which is you know looking at last night's game minnesota and nashville were tied it was a four-point game uh they were smack dab in the middle of the central like that was a big game to lose especially that the way that they lost it yeah. so i'm having a moment of mourning we're gonna dive into it five tough questions we noticed oh, wow. that we've steered clear of everything that's um everything that's trade related because here it comes. Let's have some fun with it. Number one, I'm going to throw you a curve because this one isn't a trade question. The All-Star Game will be a three-on-three tournament featuring all four divisions. Aside from the Central, because let's face it, the Central probably roll out a pretty devastating lineup. What non-Central Division um, group would be the best team? Metro. Oh, yeah, absolutely the Metropolitan. Like. For- yeah, think about the people that are pretty much automatic locks. Crosby, but he's not going to go because of some faked injury. Uh, Malkin, Tavares, Ovechkin, Giroux, maybe Voracek. Uh, and then look at the goalies that are there. I mean, you got Lundqvist, Flurry, Holtby. Uh, all, there can only be two of them out of out of all those guys. It's it's going to be it's going to be pretty tough. And some people are going to get left out that are really good players, which is kind of the drawback to this uh, format that they have. Yeah, that's going to be the exciting part of, of this year's All-Star game is, is really talk talk about who is left off the teams. There's going to be some big names who are not going to make these teams. Well, like there's big, I mean, it's going to be that big of a disparity between this year and previous years? I, I think so. It feels, it's it's much more constrained I, in a way I, I feel. Yeah, with only uh, 11 players going, and that's what, one and a half people per team, a little bit less than that. Uh, I mean, if you grab, especially in the um, uh, in the Eastern divisions where that's eight people, you grab one person from each team because the NHL is still insisting on doing that. Which I thought they said they were okay. dropping that this year. They, they mentioned it, but in the press release, they did say that one person from each team is going to be selected. So we'll see. I've heard some things to say that they might not do that because I mean they're, just, they're not committing. Who who really wants to see a you know Justin Falk would really be the only Carolina that would maybe have a chance. Toronto, Colorado, do any of those guys need to need to be picked? But you look at that. So eight players are going, and then you have what three more? It's not a lot, especially when you look at Dallas. I mean, you look at Dallas right now. You've got Sagan, Ben, and Klingberg. I don't think that Klingberg is going to get on. And he probably he should really be. should well, be. They, they, don't the younger players do the skills competition? Yes. 
I think he should be. Yeah, and then, I mean, obviously for injuries and things like that, people saying that they don't want to go. That's how Forsberg played last year. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, because Klingberg technically isn't a rookie anymore, though. He's in his second year. Yeah, I mean, with new, I mean, they may shake up a lot of the format. I mean, they may suddenly announce they're inviting an extra group of players just for the... Uh, Sorry, about this a talent show for the skills competition. Uh, it's, you know, I like talent the talent show. show it's a talent show, yeah. The uh, talent show was I, I like that a lot better. We're gonna run with that going forward, John. Okay, talent, talent show. show. Glad to glad to contribute. That was good. Number two, uh, Paul Gostad and Eric Nyström have cost Sissons and Salonaki to be shuffled out of the lineup as we covered earlier. How many games will Colton Sissons and Mika Salamaki play for the Predators for the rest of this year? And which one of them impressed you more? Man. I guess, it, well, again, will depend on injury. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's entirely based on having the roster space, and that's a hugely limiting factor. And, and it, you know, they may choose the way potato, but they just picked up that new guy uh, whose name I keep forgetting, but he's Swedish. Not Grandland. Grandberg. When I read it, I just keep thinking um, Gail Grandland. Yeah, like, who's Finnish. Yeah, right? And the Scandinavians, so... I, Carry on. That was a weird moment. Yeah, it was a weird moment. <laughs> Finland and Sweden, hey, man. It's, you know. well, Finland isn't technically Scandinavian. They're Nordic, but they're not Scandinavian. Yeah. Are they not? Technically not technically. Oh, well, they, get, they, get lo- they get lumped in, but if you add in Finland, it's, it's, it's considered Nordic. That's kind of like the bridge between Scandinavia and Russia. All I know is that I can listen to Arch Enemy, Children of Bodom, uh, Amon Amarth, and then Sentence Back to Back, and I cannot tell the difference. That's Sweden, Finland, Sweden, Finland. Anyway. Yeah. I would say less, probably more than 10 games, but less than 20, if I had to guess. And are we talking about combined or just each? Uh, each, you know. I mean, Sissons, I think, will get another 10 games. Well, Salamaki, will, I think, should get another 40. Yeah. I, yeah Sal- I, I think that Salamaki will get into lineup sooner than we think. Um, Sissons should get into lineup sooner, but I don't think that he's going to come back except without a without an injury. But that's very possible with Nystrom. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see Salamaki, you know, working his way in the team, and and the second there's a, there's an injury to a player, him being the instant guy. So reaching forty, I don't think is unrealistic. Uh, I think it's optimistic, but I don't think it's unrealistic. As far as Sissons, I mean, he's at the whim of of uh, roster size rules, and I'm not going to try to predict roster. You know how how. Poyle wants to manage rosters. He's, who knows who they're going to call up? Valid point there. Number three, with the season that Shea Weber is having, how likely is David Poyle to trade Shea Weber this year if you're going to give a percentage? Um, 0.1%. I'll go a little bit higher. I'll say less than 10%. Weber is so far... Pretty good start. Mm-hmm. Nothing disappointing about what Shea he's, Weber's. He's playing Shea Weber's game. He's doing what Shea Weber does. He's he's being a better. I think he's having a better start to this year than he did last year. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and he's scoring a lot more too. He, and he looks better out there as well. He looks healthy. He looks happy. Looks good. Number four then, with Weber and Yossi likely off the table for any trades because they're they're not trading Roman Yossi. That leaves Ryan Ellis, Matthias Eckholm, and Seth Jones as the likely candidates to be shipped out if they're going to make a blockbuster trade during the season. Now, if you give the contract situation of Ryan Ellis and Matthias Ekholm both signed to long-term cap-friendly deals compared to Seth Jones, is Seth Jones the most tradable asset in the Nashville defense? This, of course, discounting 6 and 59. Yes. Um, I, I kind of think it's—I I say no because I, I really think the answer is, is probably Ryan Ellis— uh, you know he he has an established skill set. Uh, he is, I would say, he's fully developed as far as a player is going to be. And there's way more question marks around Seth Jones still. So you're saying that Ryan Ellis is more fully developed than Seth Jones is? Just to clarify, not better, but more fully developed. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, what I was. I just developed. want to make sure that you're yeah. okay. Cool. Um, yeah, and but kind of going along with that is that you listen to everyone talk about Seth Jones, be they pundits, be they. Uh, other coaches, other players, like they all recognize what he has, and I feel like that is very important for another team to pick, or another GM to pick up on, saying like he isn't a restricted free agent. We get first rights to sign him, and look at how talented he could be because he's so young right now, and look at where his game is right now compared to where it could be. 
three years from now. And I think that that's very important for other teams to realize is saying that we get this player who's already good and then could go on and be even better than what he is right now. So I guess it just kind of depends on what the other team is looking for, whether they want someone to jump in now or jump in now and then be able to have that extra breathing room to develop and grow. Also, the player they're going to get in return for Seth Jones is going to be far greater than what you get in return just for Ryan Ellis. Yep. So you would need to throw in more package, a bigger package around them. Let's say, I would, I would say, here's your parallel would be either if you're going to have Jones on one side, Ellis on the other, who would you put with Jones to make a more appealing offer? Like Ponas Oberg? Who would you put beside Ryan Ellis? Kevin Fiala. Mm-hmm. They get the same kind, same quality of player. I think that's fair. I think that's a, I think it's a fair assessment. Well, then number five, if Nashville moved either Jones or, in your case, Ryan Ellis for centers such as a Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, these are two centers that are right now on teams that are sinking to the bottom. Duchesne, we've already heard rumors of him being possibly talked about this year, which Colorado does have Nathan McKinnon, and Nathan McKinnon's had a very good start to the year, future number one center there as well. Would you be okay with that during the season? If the Predators tomorrow, if you wake up and say, Rick, read up, and you read on, I was going to say the newspaper, but if you read it on the forecheck that, uh, that the Predators have moved have uh, moved for, for Matt Duchesne at the expense of either Seth Jones or Ryan Ellis, you okay with that? My gut is to say no, but at the same time, think of what we've been talking about for most of the season, most of the summer for years, as far as getting that young number one center in there to help and I think that that outweighs any like bad feelings or negative feelings I'd have about seeing Seth Jones or Ryan Ellis go in the middle of the season Uh, because especially if they could get someone like like Duchesne who is signed for several more years they had several more years on top of that to compete and to work on it as far as like right now it's kind of a weird spot just because the team's kind of in peaks and valleys they haven't really found their groove from what we thought we were seeing earlier in the season so i think that i would be okay with that as much as that might you know ruin chemistry jumble up the lines push things out i don't think it's going to be that big of a deal because at the same time these guys are professionals you're talking about your third pairing defenseman though exactly well i mean there's there's a luxury the predators have and that's that they're currently playing Three guys who I would consider to be second-pairing defensemen. And one of those guys has to play in the third pairing. So if you do move a Ryan Ellis or Seth Jones out for a center, whatever that ultimate trade package would look like, you're, you're talking about, um, you know, let's say like, it'd be a def- like the instant defenseman, a, pro- a high-quality prospect, and probably a draft pick for the center and a kind of grinder, low-level player from, from the other team. A defenseman just to fill up the roster spot. It, it, well, or they, or they think... Um, Grabberg. Grabberg. <laughs> we should, can we write that down on something? Just hold it up above your head, Dan. Um, <laughs> that, you know, maybe maybe he can fill it, Or maybe they see someone in Milwaukee. Or maybe they actually think Botetto and Bartley can play defense or something. I don't oh, know. Oh, no, 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 uh, no. Yeah, nothing's ever indicated that. So, I mean, I, something like that is probably ultimately for the best. I mean, Seth Jones got drafted because he was the absolute best player available. And so you make that call. Uh, the Predators, and you don't draft for need, but at the same time, the Predators did not really have a need for another high-class defenseman. They just picked the best player, which is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But it gives them, they've been doing that so, for so long, it gives them the luxury to be able to move one of those guys, and they don't seem to want to do that. I mean, they did it a little bit with Cody Friends, but, but no one really had any impression at the time. Right, and there's also, um, you know, the reluctance to do that, and the whole thing as far as, like, maybe just nothing has opened up for them yet. As far as it makes sense for David Poyle, makes sense for the team, makes sense for the long-term future of the Nashville Predators, because we talk about you know wanting this quick fix, wanting this center to go in there, but at the same time, I think the goal should also be to make Nashville very competitive for years and years and years down the line. Mm-hmm. And if they're getting someone like an Eric Stahl or you know someone past their prime, not saying that Stahl is past his prime, but he's, he is. Start, he's, he's starting to get there. Um, you know, it, does that make sense for Nashville and the? My, I mean, my gut feeling for that is no, that it doesn't. So you want to wait for something that is going to do that and not just make a trade for the sake of making a trade. And if it doesn't materialize, well, that's hockey. How many trades have not materialized ever? Yeah, and 
the, the really difficult thing here that we that we have to think through, and you know, Poyle of course has to deal with, is that a elite defenseman and elite forward, the forward automatically has more value. You make that forward a center, and that's the highest value player. There is nothing in the league worth more than a first line center. It's the most valuable asset in the league, and so you have to pay a lot to get that more than you want to pay, guaranteed. And that's why the Predators have never really done it because it's the price is just so huge. And the one time they were bad enough to get one of those guys, Seth Jones was on the board. And behind him, it was Sean Monaghan. And Sean Monaghan looks to be a fine young player, but he's Sean Monaghan. Mm -hmm. Still a really good player, but... Sean Monaghan. Sean Monaghan. Yeah, I wonder how much different things would be had Seth Jones gone second or third. We'd have probably Barkov, Barkov or Druin. Right. We better hope it was Barkov. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, now we're all dreaming about Barkov. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sasha. Nordic, not Scandinavian. No offense to Seth Jones. No, no. I mean, we, this is. I mean, let's throw the flag real quick. Seth Jones. There's nothing wrong with Seth Jones. We do not hate Seth Jones by any means. Mm-hmm. I think actually, I would say all of us really like Seth Jones. Yeah. And all Agreed. of us would probably rather see them trade Shea Weber at the end of the season and probably keep on <laughs> keep Seth Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another thing that doesn't get talked about in this, in this uh, whole scenario, though, is that this is Seth Jones' contract year. You look at how much these puck-moving defensemen, especially younger ones, are getting paid. Nashville is an anomaly in the sense that Ryan Ellis and Matthias Ekholm are on very reasonable deals. I have a feeling Seth Jones probably is going to be the toughest one to get under that umbrella of a reasonable deal that shaves off years of unrestricted free agency. Mm-hmm. So that right there, I'm, I'm kind of more on the the Jones uh, train than I am the Ellis train just because Ellis is so cheap. But Jones isn't going to be, uh, Jones is going to be a heavy contract. Yeah, it's, and I, I still don't quite know what the Predators are. It may be January, February before we know. Uh, and then it's they're going to have every year. March is a definitive time of the year for the Predators, and they continue to be so weak in March, season after season. And, and you know the window is going to be clo- closes in what March? Typically March what? Early March? It, I know it varies depending each year a little bit. As far as playoffs go, We're well, no the trade, trade deadline. Oh, trade deadline. Yeah, uh, early March typically, right? Yeah, this year it is uh, the twenty ninth of February. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's early. Le- yeah, leap yeah, year. It's so, early this year. You know, I I really think you look for that dramatic deadline day move because one Poyle has shown a tendency to do that, uh, and we just hope he can get it right one of these years. That's true. That looking at the March schedule and the February schedule because you remember this team just ran out of gas in February, mm-hmm. playing four times a week for you know four of the weeks in February. Not the say not the they only they play uh, three times a week for the first three weeks in February and four times in the last week. Only one only two back to backs. Not bad. I can live with that. So I just had this thing just popped in my head. We're not talking about the little trades that matter. No. What if, what if this new guy? Granberg. Granberg. So hold on. No, no, no. You say it. What's his name? Granberg. What's his name? Peter Granberg. There you go. Peter Granberg. Yes. What if Granberg comes in? He fills in, you know, one of the, the, the seven, eight defenseman slot. You send out. Bartley or Boteto and Hutton for a backup goaltender. That's not unplausible. That's that's. I mean, when you're not willing to play your backup goaltender back in to a back. back-to-back matchup, I get a little worried. I mean, a coach does that every year. Like he's going, every coach is going to do that one time, and it always, pretty much, always goes badly. Uh, you know, I, I, I always, I always like to say. If you have problems in your team, you look for the ways to incrementally improve your lineup. You don't look for the big splashy things unless you absolutely have to, because that's that's super high risk, especially in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. So you find the weak areas, you make incre- incremental improvements. You improve the backup position. You look at, and, and the Predators benefited from this due to injury, you look at your bottom line, you say, there's problems here. Let's add in, we can we can add in guys like Colton Sissons. We can add in guys um, you like Mika, Mika Salamaki. I think the best thing that can happen for Nashville is that some of these really grinding teams in the East make a uh, push for the playoffs where you can maybe unload a Gostad or unload a Nystrom. That could be good, too. 
you know, what does our team need? We need a guy who can barely play hockey but can win like 50% of his face-offs. Yeah, uh, yeah and that's so weird because, I mean, Gostad's on, no, he's on the last year of his, his contract, which it usually is when you send someone out. But at the same time, I feel like he's just so ingrained in the identity if you want to, I'm using air quotes here of the team as far as like he goes out there and takes the defense's own faceoffs and he wins those faceoffs and that's what he does. It doesn't matter what he does. I mean, we've seen him in three on three overtime win the faceoff and beeline it right to the bench so that the more talented guy can get on. Beeline. It's Gostad. Yeah, I mean, it took him it's 20 car- minutes to get there. It's a carpenter bee. It's yeah. not actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's like, I mean, I think we would all agree that trying to offload him so that. Sissons could come in and play that playoff push and there would be the smart idea, but it just doesn't seem like that's something that the team wants to do. These are like EA. We're now talking like EA NHL 16 style trades. Oh yeah, I went on and I traded Paul Gass and Eric Nystrom for Nazem Kadri. It was awesome. Yeah, we're not like, talking that about that. Happen. We're just talking about getting them off the ri- roster but so still, that someone good can come that easy. by subtraction. I don't even think it's that easy to, to move them. No. Yeah. Or it's not. They're expensive and they're ineffective. How do if, you move that? Yeah, if they if it were easy, they would have done it already. I mean it's not like they're David Clarkson, but they're still yeah. pretty rough. Yeah, I mean look at I mean how much trouble did they have getting uh Derek Roy and Ole Ogenen and Victor Stahlberg off the roster? Hey, don't bring up Victor Stahlberg. That hurts inside. Sorry. Magnus Helberg's one that hurts me. Not even in the same category that just that just yeah, hurts. They me. didn't have any trouble getting they're like, here, free Magnus Helberg, what do you got? Six round pick, we'll take it. Poor kid. He's getting ready to. He's now backing up his childhood idol, Henrik Lundqvist. Where he's in the he's two goalies below him. <laughs> he's he's. I mean, he's rough. He's like probably in the same state sometimes. Yeah. Coming up this week. Uh, speaking of the Predators, play the uh, Rangers tomorrow night in the Garden. Then they go to Buffalo. Then they go to Philly on Friday night. And then Buffalo comes here on Saturday. So four games. Rangers are really good. That's prob- probably taking the L there. Uh, <laughs> They're okay. <laughs> The only reason they're okay, Henrik Lundqvist is just out of this world right now. They're okay. Yeah, Lundqvist seems to have decided that once again he has re-energized himself and he's prepared to to once again drag the New York Rangers deep into the playoffs, no yeah. matter how they feel. Yeah, it's like we're going to be a bad team this year. He's like, not on my watch. Not Smile. Having it. Yeah, and then they tie for the most points in the Eastern Conference. We've seen this and go before. out of the second round because yeah. the team's exhausted. Uh, Buffalo. I'm feeling pretty good about that one. Philly, what do we know about the Flyers this year, Link? That's and, a two thirty in the afternoon game. Yeah, and this is yeah, on a Friday. It's the post Thanksgiving madness where the NHL likes to schedule games on holidays. A lot of people don't actually not everyone has off, but some people have off. Right. Like the um MLK Day games and like stuff like noon that. Start. The Columbus Just, games. Like everyone's at work and I'm like, there's a game during yeah, but, but anyway, to answer your question. Uh I mean this this is a team that the Predators should go out and beat. Uh, it's it's a team in recovery. It's a team in full rebuild. All of their really true quality defensemen are being allowed to develop and play together in Lehigh Valley. Uh, you know, Steve Mason is still a fun, is actually turning into a good goaltender. He's doing the best he can, but you know, a lot of things aren't clicking. Uh, you know, Giroux's doing okay. Voracek is struggling to to get his scoring going. Uh, this this is kind of a, a they should absolutely win type game. Uh, the Flyers just don't have. They're not built to win. What are you okay with this week? Two and two. I no. I think it needs to be three. I think it needs to be three and one. I think they they need to to make a statement for themselves out in the ice, and I think they they really need to go out there and, and grab points. I mean, it, at the very worst, it needs to be two one and one. That's I think the minimum acceptable is two one and one. Yeah, I think they should beat Buffalo twice, considering where they are, and they should beat the Flyers as well. I'm not going to be uh, upset if they lose against the Rangers. Um, this I was ragging on them a little bit more because, I mean, they're a decent team enough. I think Henrik is making them better than they are. Um, But I think that if they lose tomorrow night against the Rangers, it's going to look worse just because of the two losses that they had this weekend. Um, But considering where they're at right now, I don't think it's going to be a surprise if they do lose. But, yeah, they need to go at least 3-1 and on on the end of this road trip and coming back on Saturday. I think that's fair. It's a statement stretch uh, uh, this week. Yeah, big statement. Yeah, and they need to stick it to Cody Franson. Yeah, that guy who has already uh, met his point total from when he was with the Predators and surpassed it in like half the games. Does his controller plugged up this time? Uh, it seems like it. Battery's playing on AI, and the AI is doing all right with them. 
All right. Or or he has a history of being a defenseman outside of one small sample size with the Predators last season. Is he yeah. playing on the right side? That I don't know. Yeah, I've <laughs> really watched. Him play. Yeah, you're, you're asking you're asking someone like I I've watched the Sabers this year. You don't have like a catalog of Sabers games you can just pull up on your laptop over there. Uh, I no? can I can look real fast if you uh, want me to. I think we're good. I don't want you to get a virus. All right, guys. Uh, anything else before we uh, close up shop? I don't think so. Let's hope that the Predators score a goal sometime soon. Yeah, I I'm not. What's I can accept. I'm I'm happy to watch your team lose, but if it's how they lose that matters to me. And how the Predators lost on Saturday was unacceptable uh, in, in terms of demeanor on the ice, in terms of response and attitude. It was not a representation that, that the team, the organization should be putting forth. And and that's what I'm going to be looking for is, and this is maybe a little weird coming from me, but I'm really going to be looking for the, char- the, the really good character um, from the team. Because uh, I think uh, as they recover their character, the play will recover behind it and they regain confidence. Uh, and there was just a total absence of that on Saturday, and, and that needs to come back for the team to find success next week. Yeah, New York's a team where this you week. need to do that against in order to do that. And yeah. to answer your question, Cody Franson is playing on the right side. Uh, he's playing on the third pairing with Carlo Koliakovo. Whoa. Yeah. This is the where are they now line. Wow. I forgot. that. That's actually who I was thinking of recently. Uh, it's like some guy who's been bouncing around all over the place, got injured a bunch. and Mr. Glass. Yeah, he is uh, <laughs> He is in Buffalo now, which apparently all players go to. If you don't know where a player is, they're in Buffalo right now, unless your name is Scott Gomez. <laughs> Offer not valid for Scott Gomez. <laughs> He's in Alaska, or I don't know. No. Alright, guys. Uh, thanks much for this one. Um, uh, last words? Uh, this this beer tastes like ice cream. What beer is that? It, uh, John brought it. It's a New Belgium plus Ben and Jerry's salted caramel brownie brown ale. It tastes it's it tastes like ice cream. I it, it makes me feel odd because beer and ice cream together is not a good combination. I I would I would actually I would throw out there um, well maybe in your stomach but uh, black ab I think it's black ab it's either black ab or jackal. I apologize but uh, movers and shakers the milkshake truck around here i'm very I'm, I'm very fond of has uh done beer milkshake combination pairings to great success they've done events for that and it's actually pretty solid to me the beer tastes like just a sweeter brown ale with like a little bit of a bitter finish which not not in a bitter in a bad way just on the back of your tongue so available at all fine local retailers all right guys uh, john is on twitter at jgarcia36 links on twitter at 3d link i'm on twitter at dan d bradley you can follow the show at on the four check and this will be posted soon. Thanks much, everybody, and we'll talk to you all next week. 